Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to take a deeper look at the meaning of Mercury in the sign of Virgo. Mercury is entering Virgo uh, this coming weekend, and will be moving into the sign of not only its rulership, but also its exaltation. A lot of people wonder about that meaning. What, what does it mean that Mercury is both in its rulership and its exaltation in this sign? We're going to take a look at the archetypal meaning of Mercury in Virgo today. I'm going to rewind and show you an episode from a series that I've done that uh, is called Planets in Profile. I took Mercury, uh, Venus, and Mars through all 12 signs. And I like to rewind when we have major planetary ingresses of those three planets uh, as a way of exposing you to that series. If you're new to my channel and don't know it exists, because there's a lot of great content in that series that's sort of evergreen. It's not tied to, um, you know, one date or time. It's uh, kind of, you can always look at that series as a way of understanding planetary placements in, say, your birth chart. But at any rate, let's take a look at the real-time clock uh, before I push the button on, push, push play on the rewind episode here. And you can see that this is Friday, July 28th. And if we just advance this by an hour here, it's about, you know, Friday evening. This is central time, July 28th, that Mercury moves into the sign of its rulership and exaltation in Virgo. Now it stays in that sign for a couple of weeks. So you get, and then you get a retrograde. So it'll effectively be in Virgo for quite some time now. Um, it doesn't cross into Libra until, um, you know, into early October. So we now have Venus, uh, Mercury in Virgo for a long time, which is also why I think it's worth revisiting that talk on Mercury, uh, uh, Mercury in the sign of Virgo. So anyway, before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe, share your comments and reflections, helps the channel to grow. As you guys know, I really appreciate it when you guys do that. You find a transcript of today's talk on the website, nightlightastrology.com. Any questions about what you find when you're there, our readings or our courses, email us, info at nightlightastrology.com. And I hope you will enjoy this throwback episode. This is an Achuta Bhava uh, oldie, <laughs> an oldie but a goodie from Achuta Bhava. <laughs> I hope you guys will enjoy it. Take it easy, everyone. Today, we are going to take a look at Mercury in the sign of Virgo. Now, this is an ongoing part of my uh, Planets and Profile series, which I've been doing for a few years now. I've taken a look at Venus through the signs, Mars through the signs, uh, the Sun through the signs, and also now Mercury through the signs. And picking up with Mercury in Virgo, which is just about finishing up in, uh, so I'm a little behind, uh, but better late than never. And so let's dive in. So what are the core characteristics of Mercury in Virgo? Well, let's start with the sign Virgo. Um, this is the uh, feminine earth sign. Uh, it's a double bodied or mutable sign and it is the temple of Mercury. So you kind of put all of those things together because they all contribute to how we interpret a planet in a given sign. It's quadruplicity, it's triplicity, or what we'd say it's modality and it's element. Um, it's a double-bodied sign. It comes on the cusp between summer and autumn. Uh, it is an earth sign. It is a feminine sign. So all of those qualities are really important for understanding how planets act and behave when they're in this sign. But most importantly, it is the home temple of Mercury. There's two temples, of course, Gemini and Virgo. This is the feminine temple of Mercury. And it is the exaltation of Mercury. Now you might be wondering, what an exaltation is. And I can't, I, I, it would take too long to sort of totally unpack why it is that Mercury has a sign that has, that where it is both in its domicile and exaltation. But I'll just give you a clue. Exaltations are more lunar in nature and domicile rulerships are more solar in nature. 
and the one planet that has the ability to take on both masculine and sol or, or feminine qualities or solar and lunar qualities that's very fluid that moves between them is Mercury. And so Mercury has one sign where Mercury has both a feminine or lunar exaltation and a solar uh, uh, or more masculine form of rulership. Now, unpacking that is a really interesting topic that I cover in my year one course. So if you if you're like jonesing for more of that kind of information that really gets your gears turning, then um, check out my course on my website because uh, new course starts in um, November again. So Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic, my website is nightlightastrology.com. I say that because it, it is a really interesting topic. It's just not something I can get into in a, in a shorter video on Mercury and Virgo. So when a planet is in Virgo, it is reliant upon its host, Mercury. But when Mercury is in Virgo, that means that Mercury is in his home sign or its home sign. Mercury isn't a he or a she, really. Um, and so there is, when a planet is in its home sign, it's like you or me in our own house. We're very comfortable there. We have all facility. We have, we're, we're sort of empowered to do what we want and with some greater degree of ease or strength, or clarity. I mean, um, I don't know. For me, I, I, I consider myself to be a good guest in other people's homes, but there's nothing like being in your own house. You know what I mean? So that's the general idea here is that a planet uh, is generally stronger and more comfortable and more able to express its own natural significations when in its own sign. Now, what would it express otherwise? Well, when a planet, let's say you take Mercury and you put Mercury in Leo, which is the last sign that we explored. Mercury is compromising its own nature, its own significations with those of the sun. So Mercury has to compromise. Let's say Mercury is interested in things like um, games, anything that goes back and forth, whether it's chess or basketball. Uh, you have uh, a kind of contest and a matching of the wits or the minds, or even a lot of back and forth, like a hockey puck moving around back and forth. Um, and there's a, a sense of um, uh, fun and play, uh, but also intelligence and skill. It's all Mercury. Now, if Mercury wants to do those things, but it's in Leo, right, and then it's going to have to start compromising with the nature of the sun. And the sun is going to, you know, have more to do with things like uh, wisdom and mastery and fame and rulers and things like that, among other things. So you then have Mercury having to express itself through the lens of the sun. And that's what signs are mainly doing in ancient astrology is they are modifying or blending one planet in relation to another. And they're also distributing topics by virtue of which signs land by whole sign in which houses. So if you have Mercury, you know, in Libra, and that happens to be in the second house, not only is Mercury then going to combine with Venus, the ruler of Libra, um, and Venus's position in the chart in relation to Mercury will be a part of how that's determined, but also you will have Mercury speaking to the second house topics of money or finances. And so among other things that belong to the second house, just keeping it simple here. So that's what planets are always doing. So it's so great when a planet gets into its own sign, because when a planet is in its own sign, what to speak of both its own sign and its exaltation, because either are favorable, it is as though the planet naturally has things at its disposal to do more of what is in its own nature to do, not having to compromise or work through the filter of another planet. 
So the only thing is, is that makes it a little bit boring when you're coming to talk about the unique, like how do you interpret or how do you make sense of Mercury in Virgo? It's just like, well, it's Mercury, Mercury. It's just really mercurial. But there are some things that really distinguish Mercury in Virgo from other Mercury placements and from Mercury in Gemini even. One of them is this, and you, if you watch my video that I did on the meaning of the sun in Virgo, you're going to get a lot of really good background for understanding this video. So I recommend you do that. But here's the thing. Virgo is the Puella or the Puer, you could say, um, of the Zodiac. One of them. Aries is another. Um, which means that there is an eternally youthful quality. Aries has very little sense of future consequence as a, as a picture of youth and youthful idealism and impulsiveness and even recklessness. Virgo is a picture of youth that is about to be lost, innocence that will have to face darkness, initiation, descent into the underworld, and consequence consequence that comes as a result of the harvest. So one thing that you will see often in the lives of people with Mercury in Virgo, especially if there's other placements in Virgo as well, is that there are really strong contrasts between light and dark, between um, oftentimes between childhood and childhood lost and innocence and innocence lost. Um, and like that, just that contrast between light and dark in general will play a really strong role in their life and often will then accompany some really strong um, mercurial abilities or gifts or talents or skills or somehow mercury is really vividly on display in their life. And of course, mercury is multi-talented, multifaceted. You have mercury related to mercantile things like business and money and negotiating and the, the buzz of the stock market highways and uh, transportation, information exchange, media communication, to a certain extent technology, anything where there's a, a busy flow of information or ideas or data or intelligence or speech or communication. Um, and of course, Mercury in Virgo in particular can be such a craftsman or craftswoman can be such a, um, a skilled artisan and things like that too. So all right, so here are a few people that I think embody some of these energies well. And by the way, for everyone, for everyone who chewed me out for not having enough women in my Mercury in uh, Leo video, I apologize. Usually I have a really good mix. Um, last month I was in the process of moving and I was sort of in a rush and I was picking up, there's a website that I use and um, Astro Theme, Astro Data Bank. And some of these websites, you know, when you do a search, it'll just pull up like a hundred listings, several hundred sometimes. And I, usually I scroll down and pick a variety of interesting, contrasting people. And uh, that generally gets a pretty diverse range of people in the mix. But uh, last time it, it, was, uh, it was sort of a sausage fest. So, <laughs> so sorry, everyone. Uh, but now this month, hopefully that's balanced out a little bit more. And always appreciate any um, additions that you all have to make to this uh, to these videos. So please add in any Mercury and Virgos that you know of with good stories that seem to match. But watch how the contrast between light and dark, innocence and innocence lost, uh, oftentimes uh, with a, a specific quality of the child versus the adult. That uh, those qualities come out with with Virgo people and often Virgo Mercury Virgo people who are very talented. Let me give you a few examples. Um, so let's go to 
Uh, let's start with Macaulay Culkin. That is a simple one. Here is the, the, the famous childhood actor. And there's a lot of like childhood, I know there's like a lot of childhood actors, but Macaulay Culkin in a weird sense is like someone who, when you look at you, you just keep thinking Kevin from Home Alone. And there's a, a weird way in which like he even jokes on social media about, hey, look at, I'm, I'm, I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm 40 or whatever the case might be. Um, he, of course, had this incredible youthful boyish charm that captivated audiences and made a cult classic movie. Um, but, it, you know, he also, there was a movie that he did, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was called The Good Son. And it was this contrasting view of him as a really jealous um, little boy who was like actually a murderer. And he was like slowly trying to kill his family members or something like that. It was really creepy. And um, this, and then of course, later in life, he dealt with a lot of addiction as well. And he, he's talked very openly about the fact that being this childhood, lovable, innocent, bright light really sort of messed him up. And you will find that story repeated again and again, not only with Virgo in, in general, but with Mercury and Virgo people who have these really, th these gifted um, mercurial skills or traits. <clears throat> Um, so there are, there are others. Um, one that I found really interesting is uh, another one that fits a similar bill is uh, Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. So he has this kind of childhood, youthful run of success. And he's, and he's, of course, he's a very, he's a skilled voice actor later in his career. And he, he does a lot of other work. Um, but there is a way in which there, you, can, you can never really recapture being the innocent young Luke Skywalker. And again, I'm, I'm picking on some, just some basic themes to start with that you'll often see repeated where there's this feeling of eternal youth that either you can't get back to or that somehow is stained or tarnished. Um, I mean, is it really? You know, that's, maybe that's part of the journey of Virgo, right? Is it, can it really be tarnished? But it, it may seem like it is or feel like it is, and you, there's something lost that you can't regain. River Phoenix is another really great example um, of someone who has this, um, is a really eclectic background. He was in a, his family was in a cult when he was a, a child. And um, he, at one point, was like panhandling, I believe, or playing music for money or something like that out in the streets with his sister. So he has this um, really sort of, uh, he described it, I think, as, a, as a, a desperate situation when he was younger and really had no education and so on and so forth. And then later in life, he goes on to become this really amazingly talented actor. But how is he known? He's known as one of the, the kind of tragedies of Hollywood, this promising young person who, um, you know, in, in some ways he dies too young and can't fulfill the promise and drugs are part of that again. So similar, Amy Winehouse. Uh, Amy Winehouse is another, is a, is a great example of another, of another person who, you know, she's kind of uh, brought up with an interest in music and she's this young, talented, if you ever see the movie Amy, it's a, it's a, it was a really good movie. I went to the theater with my wife and saw it back in the day. It was about almost 10 years ago, I think it came out. I don't remember. I think she made it pass in like 2010 or 11. And maybe it came out in like a few years later, so maybe it wasn't that long ago. But anyway, um, there's another tragic story of this young, talented girl who, um, I mean, that's the, I, I, that's a whole mess of a story. I'm not like uh, so well read on Amy Winehouse, but what do people say about Amy Winehouse? She was too young. She had this this talented, and she was a 
total craftsman. She had this amazing um, craftsmanship and skill. And um, people will say, you know, that she was technically um, very, very good as a musician. Uh, so, but then it's lost. There's like this contrasting loss of innocence that she has through addiction and codependency and relationships. And she had problems with her parents. And it's like the, she's suspended, suspended animation in, in this childhood um, promise. Uh, so Whitney Houston is another very similar one where Whitney Houston is brought up basically in a family of very talented people, gospel singers. She's, I think she was cousins or second cousins or first cousins or something with like Dionne Warwick. Am I getting that right? Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but a really talented family, a lot of pressure as an, as a young girl to become a pop star, which she did, but then she's, again, it's like, there's this delayed uh, thing. And I know that this story is not unique to, um, Virgos. It happens to a lot of people in Hollywood in general, but you will be shocked to find out how many Mercury and Virgo people have these highly, again, like especially if there's a couple of other placements in Virgo, these really amazing uh, talents and abilities that are mercurial in nature, but that they, they come from some uh, really intense contrast between light and darkness, childhood and loss of innocence and themes like that. Um, so Whitney Houston, another one who ends up having a lot of health problems. Of course, she has problems with her husband at one point, um, not just one point, but for a while. Um, and then there's interesting contrast between light and dark that come in other forms, right? Like um, one that I find really interesting is Madonna. Madonna has Mercury in Virgo, and she's basically someone who plays on the entire theme of purity versus corruption, chastity and virginity versus, you know, sexual empowerment. And what is the real power of the feminine? Um, and of course, she's an amazingly gifted um, musician, uh, singer, songwriter, etc. Uh, so Madonna and her childhood background is really interesting too, not that I can't go into it right now, but Freddie Mercury, literally uh, part of the queen emblem and the way that it was made was with uh, the fact that he has so much Virgo energy and he, he had that literally in mind, along with the, uh, the zodiacal symbolism of the other band members, by the way, that's all part of the Queen emblem. But Freddie Mercury, literally, that's not his real name, but he, he takes up the name Freddie Mercury um, as a way of also honoring the strong mercurial symbolism in his chart. And um, if you want to talk about, oh yeah, another young, talented person, um, and well, of course, he becomes emblematic of a lot of the um, AIDS epidemic and growing awareness about the epidemic and um, and so forth. And so, and also as a one of the first like truly great mega successful ro gay rock stars, um, and not not the first, but one of the first who really, and, and of course, Queen, there's like, there's pride in being gay and being who I am. That's, that's the Freddie, that, and, and Freddie Mercury has this way also of um, trying to hold, there's a youthfulness that he holds on to um, all the way through. And, and also, if you, if you saw them, I don't know if any of you saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, but that was a really interesting look at his childhood and his family background as well. So um, Freddie Mercury is another great example. Um, another example of oftentimes you'll find that people who write about or talk about or have some 
really deep focus on children and the transition between childhood and um, adulthood, like that initiation will embody this too. For example, River Phoenix, one of his most famous films that he starred in was Stand By Me, which was one of my favorite movies of all time, by the way. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. But it's a really good one. Uh, in that movie, he plays um, a young boy who is a part of a group of young boys who go looking for the dead body of a classmate of theirs who was apparently hit by a train, they think. And so they go to find that body. And it's a story about the loss of innocence and the loss of, of childhood and moving into young adulthood. Um, and it is just, I mean, just perfectly Virgoan in that sense. Um, now, J.K. Rowling is another example of someone in terms of the subject matter of her magnum opus, Harry Potter, um, which is all about uh, young children who are being initiated into the mysteries of light and dark, innocence and um, uh, innocence lost. Those are those, and those stories are are um, you could say that they are. Uh, they were initiate. They initiated a whole generation of readers, you could say, of very young readers, in the same way that previous books like the Lord of the Rings or the Narnia Chronicles may have uh, done so for others. That's really interesting. Uh, Coco Chanel. Coco Chanel is an interesting one because um, she basically, in the in the kind of cross-dressing Mercury um, way, where Mercury can go feminine or masculine. Um, Coco Chanel allowed women to have a more chic, sporty, casual, and some would say slightly more masculine look and make that, a, a, like, make that something that is available to women as well. So they could get out of like, you know, tight, restrictive, um, uh, overly, let's say overly feminized and, 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 and trapping um, apparel and, and fashion. And she's famous for that. And her childhood story is interesting as well. I won't go into it, but just notice the way that um, there's also there can also be contrast between the masculine and the feminine that are there. There's that double-bodied nature of Mercury. Um, Sting is another good example of someone where there's a real kind of fluidity. There's like a real sexual fluidity that most people know that he's sort of famous for uh, in terms of his. Um, yeah, he's kind of a kind of a tantric guy, and also um, super craftsman and. Uh, Okay, so I've got more to run through. Sting is a, I think is is a pretty good example when it, when it comes to talking about the sort of sexual fluidity. There are others like that too. Uh, Tori Amos comes to mind. Tori Amos was brought up, ha, Methodist preacher's kid. That's me too. So uh, we're we're bound to get in trouble if you're a PK. But uh, yeah, so, so she was like, um, she was a preacher's kid who grew up a virtuoso at, from a very young age, like three years old with the piano, and um, eventually was let go on, of the scholarship that she had um, when she was a little bit older, like 10 or 11 or something like that, I read, uh, because she was had an interest in rock music. And then interestingly enough, her, her father took a position in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is where our yoga studio was. And um, she ended up uh, playing like open mics and things like that at gay bars and at other places that her father would sort of chaperone. And I think it's just really interesting, though, that she had this aversion to elements of the religion that she was raised with. She had a rebelliousness and a desire to explore um, themes of darkness and was also a childhood wonder, right? And then she became this voice of... Um, 
I want to say like avant-garde and and resistance. I mean, part of that, like that 90s scene that was so alternative. Um, and of course, a, a strong voice for feminine and what I would call the goddess in music. So uh, Ray Charles is similar in the sense of being a child wizard. Like he had like all of these really incredible technical abilities. He was interested in taking things apart and back together. Like um, apparently when he was really young, of course, he has glaucoma. He, I think it's glaucoma. He loses his eyesight. And then, um, but he ends up becoming this, again, virtuoso on the piano. So you, again, what the, the main theme that I want to communicate with Virgo is Mercury in Virgo is not just super talented Mercury stuff because it's such a strong Mercury. It's also that contrast between light and dark, childhood and innocence lost. Um, H.P. Lovecraft is another really good example. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, when he was young, was in a well-to-do family. If you know, he's, an, he's an, a very um, strange and interesting author. If you guys know his work, which is sort of sci-fi, horror, suspense, uh, thriller, all like macabre. It's super macabre. It's, anyway, so Lovecraft it was born into a family that was very wealthy, but people started dying and the wealth started being lost. And not surprisingly... He was, he became this really talented um, writer, but also informed by the idea that we live in a, a rather meaningless universe that doesn't really care so much about human beings. So there's that, this really strong theme of um, innocence lost uh, and naivete and um, even like anthropocentrism. Um, and then he's sort of trying to swipe, swipe people off that anthropocentric, um, you know, platform in, in his writing. And uh, I had to read him in grad school. I thought, you know, he was interesting. I, not like, not my taste so much, but that background of his childhood is super, super important. Lance Armstrong, child, childhood uh, phenom in terms of his athletic ability. He's a very gifted athlete from an early age. But then, of course, he, you know, he, he, the innocence is lost. He takes steroids. He starts cheating. And one of the things he said in a documentary or some interview that I was watching with him not long ago, because I did, a, I do a whole spiel on him in my year two class. Uh, we break his chart down. One of the things that I heard him say was that he said, if I could just go back to when I was a teenager and, you know, kind of tell myself that there's not as much at stake. But then another thing that he does, so in other words, you don't need to cheat. But another thing that he said, which is really interesting, is he said, you know, um, back then in the 90s, the culture was just like everyone was doing this and it wasn't such a big deal. And he has this way of almost like reminiscing or wanting to go back to uh, a different time, a, a time when he was pure and a time when before the innocence was lost or um, almost like he 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 feels that some something culturally changed that was unfair to him, and he, the fact that he hammers on that so much, as well as saying, "Yeah, and I, I wish I wouldn't have like um, thought I lost my innocence somehow." That's a really important. Of course, he's a very talented athlete, and don't don't sleep on how important Mercury, exalted Mercury, can be in an athlete's chart. Tom Brady is another great example. Uh, who was, you know, one of the, probably the goat in terms of uh, football, you know, quarterbacks in football. Um, Howard Hughes, you can also see this tilt into darkness. Uh, Howard Hughes is a good example, someone who kind of loses his mind. He's a great engineer and kind of, kind of an inventor. Um, and, um, you know, 
aviator and things like that, but he also sort of loses it. So that the tilt into madness or losing your mind or, or something like that can be a part of it as well. It can be sometimes it's physical illness or sickness or what have you. Um, <clears throat> Liz Green, the astrologer, she's a really great example of someone who um, was, was known in the astrological world for really being able to investigate the depth and the darkness of the archetypes in astrology and the unconscious uh, dimensions of the psyche. And she is someone who will help get you out of the glitzy, glittery pop astrology very quickly because she is very willing to strip strip away the naivety and just be like, no, let's. we need to go into the underworld. Check out her book, The Astrology of Fate. Anything you read by her though is is she's very willing to kind of go carefully methodically she's a total master craftsman and she goes right into you know the belly of the beast she just goes she goes right into the unconscious and 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 gives you a sense of what's really there behind the signs the planets aspects and so forth it's one of the reasons why i love her so much is because when you first start learning astrology you're like yeah this is nice but i get the feeling that this is thousands of years old and that there's a lot more than meets there's a lot more than meets the eye here that there's a lot more underneath the surface what is it well sometimes you think about virgo as very wholesome and meticulous and organized and pure and all of that but don't forget this tilt into darkness that is such an important part of the trajectory of Virgo. Uh, Mother Teresa is my last example. Uh, here is someone who as a very young girl felt the call to uh, monastic life. Um, there's that, that issue of purity. However, the call within the call, as she put it, was to serve and live among the poorest of the poor in Calcutta which she did. I know that there are criticisms that people make of, of her and the way that some of the things were done and fair enough. Um, but I, I, as someone who grew up with uh, a mother who deeply admired and respected her because my mom went to Catholic school too, you know, but um, I went and saw her um, convent. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I went and saw her ministry in Calcutta, and read some of her journal and diary entries that are kept there. And I was blown away by um, how much her heart was really in the desire to be with and serve among the poorest of the poor. And how she went from this young girl with a very wholesome kind of pure desire to love and serve God and in cloistered life, you know, totally giving herself to God to this need to go out and see and be in and touch the, the darkness and frailty of human suffering. And I really appreciate that about her. Um, and I appreciate that she also struggled with her own internal darkness and doubts, even when she was very old in her spiritual life. I think, that is, I think of that as very real and something that contrasts the kind of pure Mother Teresa that everyone, you know, like, and I'm always shocked when people... Uh, you know, in the in the more like I I know people in my own family, extended family and stuff like that who are Catholics, who are like, well, you know, she had her doubts at the end. It's like, well, I hope so. You know what I mean? Like, we're our faith life. Doubt is part of the texture of what makes our faith really rich and deep. And in the Bhakti tradition, anyway, doubt shows an emotional engagement and investment with divinity, not some absence of it. Doubt shows a wrestling with divinity that. Um, is said to be a particular mood of devotional life that comes and goes just like different seasons and weather patterns come and go. It's to be embraced. 
And what I love about Virgo is that Virgo is not just about nice, organized, helpful people. It's also about the need for the pure, innocent, naive image to wrestle with and invite in darkness, doubt, worry, anxiety. And these things become sanctified and sacred if we let them. So I hope that you've enjoyed this little tour of Mercury and Virgo. Uh, I've, hopefully I won't be so behind uh, as Mercury enters Libra. There's going to be some good things to talk about there. So stay tuned. And don't forget my new classes coming up. Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystics starts on November 14th, the year-long program in Hellenistic Astrology. 30 classes on the year. You can take it remotely or you can participate live via webinar. Uh, there's 12 guest lectures as well. We have a good portion of the course dedicated to theory and then a good portion dedicated to um, implementing theory with live clients. Uh, so it's a great hands-on experience. Uh, there's need-based tuition if you need it. If you're struggling because of COVID-19 or you're out of work and you, or, or uh, only working part-time or something like that, you're free to apply for the need-based tuition. Early bird discount is in effect right now as well. So I hope to see some of you there soon. Any questions, feel free to email me info at nightlightastrology.com. All right, take it easy, everyone. Bye.